Hello, listeners. It's Chris here from Palico. Thank you for joining our podcast, Capital Calls, the show where we sit down with thought leaders from private equity. We chat with institutional investors, fund managers, and advisors in the space to discuss the industry and to get their take on what really matters. In this episode, we talk to Chris Keller, managing partner at NextGen Venture Partners, which regards itself as the world's first network-driven venture firm, leveraging its massive network of 1,200-plus entrepreneurs, executives, and technologists to invest in category-defining companies. NextGen not only invests in exciting companies, it also acts as a concierge to its portfolio companies, helping them by providing expertise, connections, and advice. Prior to NextGen, Chris was founder and CEO of followup.cc, an email productivity service acquired by Oregon Technologies. He also ran the labs division at HubSpot and co-founded Fafarazzi, the world's first online fantasy entertainment league. Chris has been an active angel investor and supporter of the Boston startup ecosystem. We are delighted to have him join us in this conversation with our head of strategy, Claire Commons. So let's get right to it. Why don't you start by telling me the magic of the venture partner model that is at the heart of next-gen venture partners? How does it work and how does this make your story different from all the other seed stage venture firms out there? Sure. Well, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, It's always nice to talk to you, Claire, and I've been looking forward to this for a while. So NextGen, I think of it as just trying to solve problems, right, from what was the status quo. So with any group of investors, angel group, angel network, however you want to think about it, the hardest part is sort of the process, the efficiency, consensus, and like how do you incorporate a larger group of people to sort of be a part of a decision or supporting a company? You know, we started out as an angel group in D.C. long ago and very quickly evolved into a network. The advantage of this type of a group is the scale that you can use to both like find investments, evaluate them, and then of course support them. We felt like that was a very large differentiation in the world of venture funds because most venture funds don't have a large network. They have, you know, the people on their staff, they have like the personal networks they may have or know, but no one had ever said like, well, if we have hundreds or like a thousand members, like what does that look like? What does that enable? So that was how we went down that path. And of course it's like- So what is your scale? How many venture partners do you have? And what do you feel like is the impact of those connections to you? This is seven, almost seven years in the making pretty organically. Again, where we started in DC and then we we expanded to like other major startup cities and then eventually went totally virtual in the sense that like people could join from anywhere. It was no longer sort of an in-person network that was sort of rolled up. When you think about the impact, like if you are finding people who are in sort of the, as we call it, the hustle phase of their career, generally speaking. So when you have people who are, you know, doing interesting things, whether they're working in a corporation running a startup, working at a startup, they could be like VP level directors, sometimes you have engineers even, like the whole mix of skill sets all play into both identifying opportunities, what's useful today, understanding like who are the players in the industry, what's the sales motion, like what's the way to attack sort of a space. All of these things are basically value adds that our network brings 
in addition to them, of course, building their own networks, meeting new companies along the way, again, depending on their role, some people will have less access to, you know, startups and what's going on there and have more experience on the corporate side. And then other founders are always networking with other founders. And so they'll be like, the next gen team is really awesome. You should talk to them for your next raise. So this is the combined effect of, you know, as we say, the three pillars of finding, evaluating and supporting companies, that is exactly where it comes into action. Another part of your question was sort of the level of scale. So over the seven years, we've now grown to 1300 venture partners with kind of concentrations in eight major cities. That's how we think about it for the most part is we've built these communities that are concentrated in the major startup cities in the U.S. So I think this kind of weaves into your background because you didn't, you weren't born thinking you wanted to grow up and be a venture capitalist. In fact, you have spent a lot of time being an entrepreneur. I think your experience and your expertise is a critical part of this whole venture network because I think a lot of people could initially think 1300, that seems kind of cumbersome. How do you even connect with them? So why don't you talk about kind of your background and then sort of what you've built specifically at NextGen that makes this connection with these venture partners kind of easy to use and powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for uh, bringing that up. It is a cool part of the story. So I have definitely been more on the entrepreneur side over the course of my career. And so I'm always one of those people who's thinking of business ideas, solving problems and thinking about how do you build things that enable people to do things. My first company, which again, hilarious and not at all related to my career in, in reality today. Did you say reality? <laughs> yes. And actually, that's what I was about to say we created like the celebrity fantasy league so people could play essentially the equivalent of fantasy football with celebrity gossip so again not a space i spend any time in but at the time we realized how like good an idea this was and that it was something that needed to be in the world and it did really well and it was very fun and so anyways that was my first venture back company did you study computer science so I did computer science and economics as a double major. And the main reason is because senior year of high school, I took computer science for the first time and I found I was actually quite good at it. I said, oh, I'm going to go major in that. But then it was always the, oh, I'll go get an MBA. Oh, I'll like show that I have like the business stuff because I always thought I was going to run businesses. And then it did play out over time where, you know, I went into the business world after college and didn't do any programming for work, but did it all on the side, which is kind of what led to the entrepreneurial career and thus companies like reality fantasy leagues and things like that. What was it called? Paparazzi. Does it still exist? It does not. After six years of operating, it, in reality, it should have been a lifestyle business and not a venture funded business. And it would probably still be around today and probably doing really well because the world has like only continued to go in that direction. Uh, I had a stint at HubSpot, basically being the entrepreneur there in the labs group with Darmesh, the co-founder and CTO, which was awesome. There's a lot of really great people, both who were at HubSpot, who are still at HubSpot. And I got to build a bunch of cool stuff there, kind of what whatever I came up with or Darmesh and I jointly came up with. But the bug sort of hit again, where I had built this service before 
I joined HubSpot, which was basically to solve my own email problems. And sure enough, like one of my friends, I don't know, leaked it to the press. And all of a sudden it started getting all this press and attention and it was starting to grow. And I was like, I, I've got to go give this a shot, a full-time shot. I did leave HubSpot and I bootstrapped that one. And then I grew that for a few years and, uh, and ended up getting acquired. I had multiple offers along the way. I thought that business would get commoditized at some point and sort of integrated into all email yeah. clients. Coincidentally, it is still not commoditized. Like the exact thing that I solved for, you still cannot do in any email client uh, in any easy way. Explain what you did though. So the main thing was that how do you set a reminder to follow up with someone in an email when you are sending the email? So it's like if you emailed me, Claire, and you were like, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. But if I don't reply, how, how do you remember to follow up with me? And the way it should be is that you can literally just say when you want to be reminded on that email and have that come back to the top of your inbox. The distinction is that is different from snoozing, right? So like Gmail and others have mm -hmm. like implemented snoozing when an email is already in your inbox. Right. But the difference is sending the reminder, putting the reminder on the outgoing email. I think Superhuman and Boomerang, they've like built that in now. My service, followup.cc, is the only one that does it universally. It works in every email do system. Do you still but use I, it? I do. And there are people who still email me now 10 years later who say they are still customers and use it. Um, I was a free agent after selling the business and I got connected through a friend and like he told me about NextGen's model and he was like, you're a startup guy, let me know. So I go, I interview I, or, or I talk to them and I said, yeah, I really like what they're doing. You should take the job. A couple months later, call me. I do my own due diligence and I was like, yes, this is a better, more interesting way to do sort of angel network stuff. But in my interview, I literally said to them, the only way you can make this business right. scale the way you want to is to make it online and virtual and like digitize all the processes in one central place and be able to manage who sees what and like get out of like the current model. So even with that said, I joined Dan and Brett, the founders, they raised money to then like bring in people like me and my partner, John, who then like we grew our respective cities, right? We built them up. And it became very clear that you, A, like you can build a really good community and all the theses that we had around deal flow and evaluating companies, all of it worked. The problem was you couldn't reliably uh, get a commitment because if you think about it, people are always the biggest variable. And so the, the only way to remove that variable was to A, raise our own fund and become a true venture fund. Uh, and be like a fun first model with then like this great network as like leverage and co-invest and help. The original model was deal by deal. You could sort of pass the hat and venture partners could opt in or out. Right. And that, that, but then building on top of that was then the, the actual fund on top of that. Yeah. And we can get into the semantics of that. I was just giving a little bit of the evolution of where the technology came from and, and the model is still right. today for the most part. But the reality was, so you build up all these people and all these cities, and then you have this like non-digitally connected thing. And it was really hard to scale. And so we made that decision then to A, build our own system that sort of reflects how we operate 
and how we interact with our network and bring them all online together. And on top of that, not have any physical location requirements, both in seeing deals and evaluating them or in just like where someone could be to be a member of NextGen. And so that was how it evolved that we made the decision to like build the tech. And so we had sort of our backend CRM system um, that was sort of custom made, of course, for like how we were thinking about our, our network and our deals. And then the front side of that was the platform, which is think about it as a Facebook meets an investing platform. And so you've basically got the social aspect, which lets everyone bring, come together and interact. And one of the biggest value adds of, of NextGen is that the people in the network want to meet each other. They want to interact and like do business together mm -hmm. or work together, become friends. So that's always been a big part of it. But then we had all of our deal processes go through there in which we shifted everything to be virtual. And so my background of like being a tech entrepreneur is really where that came into this whole side of the business and evolving it. Well, maybe we can talk about a couple of deals and how it works in practice. So I think you invest mostly B2B, but there's some B2C. Maybe we talk about a B2B deal and how you've used your unique model to source, invest, and help the company afterwards. I'll give an example um, with actually a Boston company called Drafted. So they are coincidentally network referral recruiting system. And what I mean by that is they can come into a company and say, hey, we will help you leverage your own internal network, basically find referrals, which are generally the best type of hires that can come into a company because both it's like a vetted person and you probably didn't have to pay a recruiter. So uh, even though then companies still will have recruiters that like use the system to augment themselves. In a B2B world like this, where they are selling into companies of various sizes, we, with this network that is primarily comprised of both founders, entrepreneurs, and people at companies of various sizes again, we can generally say to any of our portfolio companies, you tell us either A, who you want to meet, like a specific company, and we'll find the path there through our network. B, you can give us a category of companies, and we can basically say, okay, we have a general sense of who those companies are, and we can go find that category, like, and who's connected to them in our network. We can help them get to sort of whoever their target customers are. And really, it's more just about a warm intro, right? Versus a like cold intro, trying to get to someone, you know, and sometimes it's like they get to someone lower in the company. But if we have like kind of a connection to someone higher up, that can sort of make the difference sometimes of like how the sales motion goes. So both being able to like be a part of their sales process, augment it as necessary, and of course, help them refine it. Like that's a really big um, value add today, especially at the micro um, VC or seed VC level where everyone is trying to like raise funds, get into deals, but then like supporting companies is really hard. Hiring being mm -hmm. probably the hardest one of all, in fact, but sales are like one where you can really add value early on and quickly. Right, because in the B2B world, we know this at Palico, obviously having partnerships and having kind of the right complex sales relationships with the right people in the right function in the right organization makes all the difference. You can't, you're just not, you don't spray and pray and hope that 
you send out a million emails and 1% of them opens up and buys your thing. It's a very curated sales strategy. So being able to open those doors is, I imagine, a huge differentiator. How about on the B2C side? I know that's not your main focus, but are there ways that broad next-gen venture network helps on some of those deals? So in a B2C world, you know, we've got a couple companies like Everly Well, Neighborhood Goods. So first of all, they all have like B2B relationships that they might be looking for that help them drive their business, whether that's a service they need to get to, a partnership they want to make, or someone that is in like the B2C world. Like, let's say, for example, that Everly Well wanted to get to someone like a Target, you know? If we're connected to Target, then now we can assist in sort of what will end up being a B2C sale, but it's B2B behind the scenes. In addition, like when you have this many people, you also find that you have a lot of people who both can be, um, are like Target customers for a deal if we're evaluating it. And uh, many of them we found have actually like looked into the space already because they had a need for it. As a rough example, there have been a couple consumer companies that have come along the way that try to do uh, giving them like a controlled dose of like a peanut allergy or, a sh you know, like seafood. Right. Allergy. So like when we evaluated that deal, the number of people in our network who said, oh, I've already like researched this space or I literally just went through this with my kid. That was like an example where the help is more on the evaluation side. But not surprisingly, if a B2C company also says, and Everly Well is obviously a great example here. There are many, many people in our network who are relevant customers to Everly Well. So it's like we can both get them to, you know, hopefully give them an incentive or get them to become a customer. And then, of course, now they're aware of Everly Well. And we hopefully give them a way to spread the message, whether it's news, whether it's referral code, whatever it might be. Why don't we talk about fintech? We're Palco's obviously in the fintech space, revolutionizing the way that investors can get liquidity in private equity. And we have our own kind of network called the members and we create a platform. Why don't you talk about the next gen investments in fintech and what do you think of the, the space generally? And maybe share your story of how you became invested in Carta. Sure. So I think the trend that we're seeing today in fintech, both like kind of at B2B and B2C is that a, there's a lot more kind of liquidity or people looking for opportunities, like alternative opportunities in the market. Secondly, I think everyone in this world is very focused now on making transactions easier, B, cutting out middlemen. That's what we do. Yeah. So I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple examples. So like Quill in San Francisco, you know, they are trying to help 1099 workers get paid much faster, right? That versus what a company might typically pay them. And so of course, that feels a little bit like a refactoring type business. And there are numerous businesses like this, where it's sort of the, hey, there's some spread here that you're willing to take to get something faster, or easier, or whatever. And I think that that's still strategy or model for a lot of fintech businesses. Businesses. Another one that we did more recently is called Till, which basically works with landlords to offer a way to alleviate um, when people can't pay their rent or say pay all of it because, you know, maybe they lose a job or other, various other reasons. But now the landlord can say, here's a service that helps me continue to receive my full amount of the rent payment on time and also helps you sort of pay this over time without me having to do anything onerous, right? And so again, there's like, 
like someone sitting there in the middle that's essentially issuing like a form of credit, right? And then collecting on that slowly over time, but in a non like payday lender kind of way, right? Uh, so there's like those models. On the Carta side, so the Carta story is really cool, right? Our partner, Ben, had met the founder of Carta uh, a couple of years ago. They've been friendly. And I remember, you know, somehow something came up that Carta was raising and they talked about it. And Ben was basically like, well, NextGen should be invested in Carta. We have like the perfect sort of network and relationships for what Carta is looking for. And was pretty amazing to like co-invest with Andreessen and Lightspeed in that, in that round. Well, something that you were, we were talking before about the real estate, the Till, is that the name yeah. of the company? Yep. I mean, you think about COVID and I imagine a company like that probably, I'd say sadly, is more active now. Can you talk about maybe that company or some others that have been either positively or negatively affected by the current crisis? Yeah, sure. So, so Till's a great, you are totally right, not surprisingly. Till got a lot of inbound interest as COVID started to take effect. You know, landlords were literally just banging on their door being like, I need something like this because obviously, A, there was sort of an unknown time horizon. But even if people just believed it was a few months or six months, like this was the perfect product for them to come in and do their thing. Obviously, I think you've seen there's lots of news with Everly Well. They were one of the first companies to get the uh, emergency use authorization from the FDA. So Everly Well obviously enables home lab testing in all the states that allow it in the U.S., which is like, I think, all but four now. And Right. So it they, avoids you having to go to the doctor and being exposed to COVID. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they're yeah, not making exactly. the COVID tests themselves. They're just... Correct making it so we can all stay confined better. Correct. They work with CLIA certified labs uh, for all their tests. So they are not reinventing the test as like everyone would think of with other companies of the past, but they are basically enabling, you know, convenience, speed and other factors such as like looking at your results more holistically. And of course, they have doctor networks involved as well. Um, but anyways, with COVID, they clearly made a hard effort and thankfully successful effort in working with all of these, with their existing labs and new labs to just increase testing volume. And I mean, they were working, I swear to God, 24 hours a day for weeks to like make that happen. And they're probably still on some crazy schedule, of course. Exactly as you said, like there are numerous companies that both B2B and B2C that have had large influxes of interest because of COVID. Well, since we're talking about current events, um, something I was thinking about with your firm that's unique is just basic diversity of your network in terms of geographic location, in terms of industry expertise. I'm sure there are many other ways. Obviously, diversity uh, in the U.S. is a really important topic that's that's in conversation very much so uh, right now. How are you thinking about diversity at NextGen, the way that you're growing your company, the way that you're growing your network, and the, the way that you're supporting the companies you invest in? It's a very important topic that we've been talking a lot about, of course, just like everyone else. And it's something we've always had on our mind. And we've tried to espouse those beliefs and principles from early on. And, and I think there's always more that we can be doing and everyone can be doing. And so, you know, even within our own team, we've tried to look at diversity. 
when we look at the venture partner network, we, of course, try to think about diversity. I mean, even though we have a long way to go, like everyone, if you were to just say, we're the like female investor, I think that we can say that we have a very large female investor base, but again, relative to like what's out there today, do we want more? Absolutely. Then, of course, from our investor network, and again, thinking about diversity, thinking about racial diversity, ethnic diversity, like all of that, too, we need to continue to try and bring in different groups of people wherever they may be. And that's one of the advantages of not being like location specific. People can participate from anywhere. And so it's part of our responsibility as well to go looking and encourage people to come be a part of what we're doing. Then, of course, there's the trickle-down effect of being a venture investor where now you have portfolio companies and you are choosing who you are investing in. And so, thankfully, I would say our diversity has increased in fund two, which we've been investing out of for a year and a half. So it's not, as I said, it's not a new topic, but I think there is obviously like a very strong focus right now. And it just makes you realize that there is always more you can be doing um, there. Again, playing that out, going to the portfolio companies themselves, you know, we want to encourage them to obviously focus on diversity and also empower them and help them however we can. Because I think that when you think about everything as sort of a microcosm of the bigger picture, and so it's like, if you're funding startups, if they're recruiting diversity, for example, engineers, like even like a lower level engineer, like you should be thinking about diversity. Then at the C-suite or the VP level, you should be having diversity. So it's like all ranks matter in terms of diversity. And so we can, of course, instill that as a seed stage investor from the early days in their thinking, in their processes, uh, and of course, support that ourselves when people say, hey, can you either help me with hiring or, or connecting with X organization? And so I think that that is every investor's responsibility today in thinking about their sort of top-down effect and then how that sort of grows from the bottom up over time. I think that it's pretty clear that diversity along many axes makes for better companies, right, long-term. I think that there's some great studies um, on that. And I think that you at NextGen have this unique um, kind of opportunity to really touch that and influence that on so many different levels in a way that, for example, even an investor in a public company or an investor, you know, private equity firm investing in um, kind of large companies don't because at the early stage, part of why in a seed stage company will take your super expensive money is that you're going to give them money and you're going to help them recruit people and ha help them kind of shape the team. I think it's great that you're thinking about it. And I also think it's smart from an investment perspective. Yeah. And in fact, your alma mater, I think, just came out with an article last week that said that diversity has now proven that the performance and returns are better. Well, great. Well, Chris, I've so enjoyed speaking with you and chatting about NextGen and your background and thoughts about investing. So thank you so much for being a guest on Palo Alto's Capital Calls. Thank you for having me. Thanks for thinking of us and great to chat with you as always. 